Well, it is so great to see y'all this morning, and we are in the middle of a sermon series entitled, Getting There, Your Direction Determines Your Destination, and we are asking the question throughout the sermon series, where are you headed? Where are you headed? And that can be in a lot of different areas, where are you headed, but we're kind of drilling down and kind of looking specifically at some of the most important relationships that we often have in our lives, our, our relationship with our our children, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our friends, our relationships with our co-workers. We're kind of focusing it on relationships and asking the question, where are you headed in these most important relationships? The scripture that kind of for me is the anchor scripture, and I shared this a couple of weeks with y'all, and it comes out of Proverbs, and it says this, is that a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. A wise woman builds her house, builds, builds these, these most relation, important relationships. She is, she is doing life wisely. And so as she's doing that, she's building her house, she's building her home or building these, these relationships. But sometimes when we do life in a way that is foolish, that is not wise, it is not the storms of life that are causing us problems. We are causing problems ourselves by the very words we use, the words we don't use, our actions. Does that make sense? And we talked about how the wise man built his house on the rock. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The foolish one built his house on the sand. And when the storms of life came, which we're all going to experience, the storms of life came, the one who had built wisely was the house that stood. But the one that had not built wisely, that house didn't make it. So today we're asking the question, and we're kind of digging into God's Word. What are those principles from God's Word that we can take those ideas and we can take those principles, but how do we make sure that we're applying them in our everyday life? So, so that's kind of the big idea. It's, I'm hoping it's going to be super, super practical. Now, kind of the illustration to set this up that comes to mind for me is that um, about a, a month ago, several weeks ago, I'm trying to, maybe about a month ago, uh, our granddaughter, Claire, was visiting us. They live in Texas, and so uh, my daughter Mary, her husband Peter, uh, they spent a couple of weeks with us, and Claire's too, and so while they were there, we took Claire swimming. So we, you know, swam off and on the whole time that she was here. So Claire had these little swimmies, you know, because she's, she's not swimming yet. She's beginning. She is an emerging swimmer, but she is not a proficient swimmer, and so she was learning to jump in the pool with, with abandon. You know what I'm talking about? They just, Claire, come on, and I mean, she just, no fear, all in. She just jumps in. So we're sitting there in the pool, and I'm kind of in the shallow end, and Mary and I are talking and everything, and I kind of, out of the side of my eye, I notice that Claire has figured out how to get out of her swimmy. Got any moms out there? Have you got your kids? So anyway, she's kind of undone that thing, and she has gotten out of her, out of her swimmies, and I'm like, well, okay, we're all right here, and then I'm looking at Mary, and I'm looking this way, and all of a sudden, out of my peripheral vision, I see movement over here, and guess what it was? Claire, with, you know, complete, no fear, no swimmies, can't swim. She just jumps in, the, no warning, she just jumps in and does a belly flop. And what do y'all think happens next? She sinks to the bottom of the pool. <laughs> but thankfully, it was shallow. I scooped her, you know, we're all like, get her up. It's like, okay, Claire, you're okay. You know, push you over to the steps and don't, please don't do that again. So why do, I, why do I tell you that story? Is because I wonder if sometimes in life, we do the same thing. Claire didn't know 
what she didn't know. All right, you got that? Claire just knew she wanted to swim, but she didn't know what she didn't know. She didn't know that there's a skill set that you need to be able to swim. She wasn't aware that she didn't have the skill set. She just wanted to swim. And so as a loving grandparent, it would have been, you know, not right on my part if I should have said, oh, Claire, just, just don't get in the water. Don't, don't swim because don't you know it's dangerous down there. People drown. Don't do it. No, as a loving grandparent and parent, what we're going to say is, Claire, we realize you don't quite have the skill set yet. So what we want to do is we want to teach you how to swim and wear the swimmies in the deep end, you know, or make sure one of us are here. So that's what we did. So under that umbrella, that's kind of the idea is we're going to be drilling down through this whole series about just some practical truths about how to do these important relationships, just drawing from the wisdom in God's Word. So last week, Mark talked about children and kids, traveling with kids, and today we're going to be talking about traveling with your spouse. And, and the passage that we're looking at comes from Ephesians, and it's there in your bulletin. And so just to set this up, as you, as you think about this passage, I want to give you just a little bit of context, and, and also to kind of set the stage before, if, if you are single, and I, you know, I know most everybody in here, and I know that not everyone in here is married. We've got folks who, who are divorced. We have folks who have lost a spouse to death. Um, we have people who are, are single. And so I realize there's this great diversity in here in terms of our relationships. And the things that I want to say at the get-go is there is no perfect relationship status. In other words, you look at the Apostle Paul who wrote this passage that we're going to be looking at today. He was a man who felt called to live as a single man. He felt that it was his gift. He felt that it was his calling. Uh, he felt that that is what God had uniquely created him to do, to be in that status because he, it enabled him to do what God had called him to do better. So one is not better than the other. But what we know from the New Testament is that almost every single one of the New Testament writers gave instructions about marriage. And so sometimes it's easy to think, well, I can't really talk about this Ephesians passage because it's so so rich, so heavy with, with principles about marriage because they're people who aren't married. But here's, here's the thing that I want you to think about. The passage that we're looking at today, it comes from Ephesians, and Paul is setting up this picture, and he gives instructions to wives, and he gives instructions to the husbands, so men and women, he's going to give these instructions. But when he does it, he uses this phrase, and this is the phrase, it is just as just as. And, and you might not see it uh, there in your bulletins because I didn't give the, the, entire, the entire passage, but if you go back and look at it to this afternoon, I want to invite you, when you kind of look at that, that larger passage there, in about 12 verses, he uses the phrase just as six times. And this is what he says. He says, wives, I'm going to give you some instructions, and this is how I want you to relate to your husbands. And then he says, just as the church relates to Christ. Does that make sense? So wives, I want you to, 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 to put these principles into practice in your marriage because when you do that, this is a reflection of how the church is to relate to, to Christ. You become a picture of how the church is to relate to Christ. And then he says, husbands, I'm going to give you a set of instructions. I'm going to give you some detailed things that I want you to make sure you're doing in your marriage. And then he uses the phrase, and he says, just as this is how Christ 
relates to the church. Does that make sense? So he's going to give instructions to the husband. And he's basically, here's what he's saying. Guys, when you do this well and you do this right, the church, the singles, the non-married people, the married people, the children, the folks who have lost a spouse to a, 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 a death, all, no matter what your relationship is, husband, when you are doing this well, someone can look at you and say, Ah, that's how Christ loves me. That's how Jesus loves me. And when a wife is doing it well, the way way it's described here in Ephesians, someone could look at her life and go, oh, you know what? That's how I should be relating to Christ. Does that make sense? So we avoid this passage sometimes because we're afraid, you know, maybe there are folks that this isn't going to relate to. But I would say that, that we must dig down. We must look at these passages because no matter what your status is, we still get to see the picture of when this is being done well. It is a reflection of the relationship between the church which is called the bride of Christ and our Savior. Does that make sense? When you look at Ephesians, just to tell you a little bit about the context and the history and kind of what was going on in this time, Paul, the Apostle Paul, after the resurrection in the book of Acts, we read about how Paul went around the Mediterranean basin starting these churches. He goes to Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he starts this church. He lives there for about three years. He's preaching, he's teaching, there's persecution, all of that. Uh, There's a female deity in, in, in Ephesians that is worshipped. Her name is Artemis. Uh, and so a lot of his teaching and his experience is around this. Paul leaves. He goes on. He gets arrested. And so when he writes this letter to the Ephesians, he is now imprisoned in Rome and he is writing back to them. So the first part of Ephesians, basically what, there's two parts to Ephesians, and this is going to play into where we're going with this. Basically, in the first part of Ephesians, he is celebrating the fact that God has sent his son, that God has sent Jesus Christ, and that Jesus has died for us, our sins are forgiven, we have now become his children. But here's kind of the big idea and the thing that that Paul really, really, really just, just comes home to in this passage that he lifts it up in this, in, this, in this book or this letter. He said, you know what? No matter what your background, whether you are Jewish or whether you're free or a slave or a Gentile, he kind of brings all these different people together. And he says, we, and, and y'all, this is my, I am interpreting Paul's words, so just realize that. But it's like he's saying, you know, we are very different. We are very diverse. But the beauty of this is in Christ, in Jesus, we are one. We are one body. We are one church. He has called us to be one in him. And as Christ comes and he fills his body, it's like we reflect his glory to a broken and hurting world. Even in the midst of our brokenness and our mess, when we yield to him, when we love him, we can reflect to others who God is in His all this beauty. So that's kind of the first part. And then the second part of Ephesians is just all this practical how to. So let's drill down. Let's get real. This is what it's going to look like. And he 
talks about slaves and how they relate to their masters. He talks about kids, how they relate to their parents, etc. And so then he drills down on this. So let's dig in and let's look at the two things that he tells husbands and wives. Some of it's there in your bulletin, but I'm going to ask Joseph. I've kind of just, just kind of uh, drilled it out here for us. The first thing is, is that he tells both husband and wife, he kind of sets it up, and he says, here's the thing I want you to do. I want you both to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, let's imagine you're in this relationship. And I would say, you know, if you're not married right now, think about another significant relationship in your life. Think about somebody that you're best friends with, someone, maybe it's a parent, but think about that kind of a special relationship that's beyond just a casual, you know, I just bump into you. But think about a a very deep connected relationship. So be subject to one another out of Christ. Now, what this looks like is, is that we're always trying to put the other person first. It's like, no, not, 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 not my will, but your will. What, what would you like? No, it's what you like. But it's always trying to put the other person first. Always trying to say, well, what's important to you? Uh, what is your perspective on this? Uh, help me understand where we're not just trying to, and let's say even in a conflict situation, I'm not just trying to get my point across. I'm not just trying to get you to my side of the argument, but help me. I, w- I really want to understand your perspective. I want to, here's a great question. I want to, help me understand what this experience is like for you. You're trying to put yourself into the skin and into the shoes of the other. So there's this mutual respect and submission. But then he drills down and he gives wives, I mean, he gives husbands this, this specific command. And here it is. Husbands, here's how I want you to live out this mutual respect. I want you to love your wives, and here's that word, just as Christ has loved the church. And he goes in and, and, and he unpacks this. And, and he says, you know, that, that Jesus came and, and, and laid down his life for the church, that Jesus loves the church, that Jesus nurtures and cares and feeds and makes her holy. So there is this, this idea that, the, that, the, that Jesus is loving us as a people. And it's like, husbands, look at that. And I want you to do that in your marriage and for your wife. And so then he goes on and he says, and women, this is how I want you to live this out. He says, I want you to respect your husbands. I want you to, it even says to be subject to. And so I know as a woman, sometimes I I chafe under that. It's like, I don't want anybody, I don't want to submit to anybody. I'm, you know, independent woman. So sometimes I chafe under that and it's like, wow, but, but what does that look like to submit to Mark, to respect him, to put him first in all things. So I think this is this this tension that sometimes and and that and and not always but it's like there's this tension that I sometimes think that that folks can get into what I think of as like this negative dance. And so I'm going to tell you what this looks like for Mark and me. And um, it, it's funny I I'm going to say um, Mark and I had a, had, a, had a spat a couple of weeks ago. And it, it was a run-of-the-mill spat. I mean, it, any couples out here, do y'all ever have those? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't anything. Okay, I saw that hand. Thank you very much. <laughs> what, what, was, what was normal about this fight, well, I'm going to say fight. Like, we didn't yell. We didn't, there was no yelling. There was no cussing. There was no hitting. But there was disagreement. I'll just, let's just put it. There was tension. I'm going to put it that way. Was that what we were disagreeing about was not super significant 
but our dynamic was very familiar. We call it the dance. Our, he'll say one thing and I react one way. I say one thing and then he's going to react the other. And it is this dance that we have spent 33 years practicing. And it's not a great dance, guys. And so we have to, we have to go time out. We're going to have to sit on the couch. I'm going to have to cry. He's going to have to listen. We're going to have to pray. I mean, it, it usually involves a lot of time. For me, I'm loving it. For Mark, he's probably just like, oh, we got to do this again, girl. <laughs> but anyway, but all that to say. But as I was thinking about this, uh, I came across um, a guy's some work, and, and you've got your hand out here. We're, today, today's practical, y'all. Uh, we're going to unpack this a little bit. But uh, as I was doing research for, um, we're going to be doing some marriage ministry stuff here this fall, and I was kind of looking at different resources. I came across a guy's work, and his name is Ted Lowe. And he, uh, and I, and I, I came into Liz's office right after. I said, oh my gosh, this guy has described exactly what Mark and I tend to do with one another. And so I, I, I and I want to read this to you, but this is how he described it. I, I, Mark and I call it our dance. That's kind of what we use, that word. He calls it a chase. And so see if you can relate to this. He said, for men and women, there is a chase of fear and shame. Okay, there is a chase of fear and shame. A woman's core vulnerability is fear. It is her Achilles heel, the thing that is extra sensitive. And she can be fearful about relationships. She can be fearful about finances. But when she feels fearful, when she doesn't feel safe, that's when she tends to get upset. And it says, for men, it is shame. Our core vulnerability is when we feel shamed, inadequate, and when we feel that we are not doing something right. Okay? So you got fear and shame. And this is what he said that I thought, that is what we do. He said, when she feels fearful, she tends to react in a way that makes him feel shamed. And when he feels shamed, he tends to react in a way that makes her feel fearful. And then she acts in a way that makes him feel shame. And around and around we go. Does that make sense? So what I want you to do now is I want you to take out your handout. I, and this, like again, y'all, this is super practical. I want you to pull this out, and I want you to look at where it says the negative chase. All right, you got that? All right, so now if you're taking notes and you've got your pen out, so right here where it says her lie, her lie, I want you to write the word fear. So let's just say something has happened that has made me feel fearful. Fearful about my safety, fearful about, you know, does Mark really love me? Fearful about finances, fearful about whatever. Fill in the blank. I can come up with a whole list of things that can make me feel unsettled, fearful. And, and for Mark, he does not, he's like, really? That made you fearful? That, huh, you know, that, that's him. So, all right, so that's my lie. So then what I tend to do is I will respond to Mark in a way because I want him to fix it. I want him to, to fix it, to save me, to rescue, you know, stop doing what he's doing, whatever it is. He's driving too fast in the car. I'm feeling fearful. I want him to slow down. Anybody ever do that? All right, yeah. He, he didn't do exactly, you know, so I'm, maybe I, I think we don't have enough money in the bank, so I want us to put more away in savings, and he wants us to go on vacation, whatever it is. So, so I respond in a way that then he feels shamed, okay? So then he tends to, his, his negative response to me is often he'll get defensive. 
Does that make sense? Okay, so my lie is I'm afraid, so I respond in a way, let's just say I, 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 I make my case. That's how Martin describes it. He said, you work really hard to help me see that your way is the right way. <laughs> and then you make it again and again. <laughs> so then his response is, she thinks I'm not doing a good enough job. So then, that's, so then he'll, that's his lie. Then his negative response is, he will get defensive or counteract or he escalates. And then, I don't think I've been heard. So then I still fear my fear. Not only now it was here, now it's here. So then I just begin to badger him more and badger him more. And around and around and around the circle we go. Does that make sense? All right, so here's what I did. I came across this, and I said, that is what we do. we got to stop. I mean, we'll, we'll figure it out most days, but that, that, if we're going to have a spat, it's going to be we're going around this circle, and we can't seem to. It's like we can loop. So y'all tell me if you ever experienced that. But anyway, so I asked Mark. I said, can we sit down, and can we talk about the last little spat that we had? Because Ted Lowe, they have an exercise that they take you through, and I'm going to briefly take you through it today. And he said, sure. Yeah, that sounds fine. So the first thing in this exercise, and I'm just going to kind of walk us through it together, because I think it is helpful. And again, even if you're not married, this is such a helpful exercise to do with anyone that you are in conflict with, okay? So the first question is, what was the fight? So we sat there for a second. Oh, I knew what the last fight was. You know, it took him a second to get there and I had to nudge him, but then, then we were both on the same page. So I'll just give you briefly what, I, I gotta, I'm going to set it up really quick just to briefly tell you what the, what the spat was about to kind of set the context. Claire was at our house. She's two years old. I've childproofed the house. Yeah, I think I've childproofed the house. So Mark goes outside. He is out washing the cars in, in the driveway there. I'm watching Claire in the house, and all of a sudden I realize I haven't seen her. You know, maybe in a minute, two minutes have gone by. So I get up. I go to look for her. She loves her granddaddy better than anybody in the world. Granddaddy. He's, I mean, he's her favorite person. Maybe one day I will be, but today it's him. So I called her the other day. I called Claire, and she said, where's granddaddy? And it's like, Claire, I called you. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so, but what had happened was she saw him get up, go down the hallway to the garage, and go, so she followed him. He had shut the door. She went down the hallway. She opened the door, went down the steps in the garage, went out through the garage, and she was out in the driveway hanging out with him. Okay, I panicked because then all of a sudden every horrible scenario went through my head, which, you know, she's going to die. She's going to get hit on for scythe. She's going to get run over by a car. She's going to get kidnapped. She's going to, so I mean, so what's, so my negative response is fear, fear, fear. So then I came out with great energy, with great energy and great passion and began to tell Mark what I thought he should do next time to make sure Claire didn't get out of the house. Well, Mark's negative response was, well, I, I wish he were here <laughs> so he could defend himself. This is the best that I can remember it. Um, he, he felt that my suggestion or demand, maybe we could say, was not realistic, that maybe it was just a little too, too, like, too much. And so he said, friend, what you're asking of me, I am not, I, I don't want you to get your hopes up, but that's just not reality, and I, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I, I care about Claire, but that what you're asking is basically it's a little over the top. Could have been. I don't know. You know, I didn't think it was at the time. But anyway, so then when he, you know, says that to me, pretty much conversation's over, 
then what do I do? I keep making my case. I, I get defensive. I become badgering. I become, well, then what does he do? He gets defensive, and then finally he just shuts down. It's like end of conversation. So then I'm still upset. But y'all can see how we, we started circling around this, and what the problem was was we were both trying to prove to the other that we were right. And because of that, we couldn't get down to the core concern, which is we both love our granddaughter. We both want her to be safe. We both do not want her escaping out of the house and going and getting run over by Carl and Forsyth. Let's come up with a plan together. But we couldn't quite get there because we were in this dance of fear and shame, which is exactly what Paul talks about. It's like husbands, love your wives because when I feel Fear, when I feel safe, I feel loved. Does that make sense? I equate love and safety really close together. For a lot of men, they equate respect and love very closely. Okay, so it's like Paul is kind of laying this out, but what I liked about what Ted Lowe was, he drew it in a diagram, and he said, this is what respect and love look like. This is what it looks like when you're not doing it well, but I want to show you what it looks like when you're doing it well. So I have a little exercise for you here. We've got, we've got a little bit of time to do this. Pull up, if you will, this word bank right here. So think about what was the, think about the last little spat that you had with somebody. And take just a second, call that to mind. And then I want to ask you this question. What was your response to the fight, to the argument? What, what did you do back? Did you exaggerate? Did you become defensive? Did you blame? Did you kick into fix-it mode? Was there destructive behavior, which, which could be verbally assaulting someone, um, saying something nasty, um, actually physical abuse, all right? Complain, criticize, let's add nag in there. Anger, shut down, withdrawal, indifference, sarcasm, humor, any of those negative responses. So, so what you would do is, whether you're, if you're the guy, you would write, this is how I respond, in that situation. If you're a woman, you would respond, you know, here's how I respond. So this is how I negatively respond. So for Mark, it was defensive, and he eventually just said, I I'm going back outside. I, I got to wash the boat. I, gotta I got things to do. So then, you know, so he shut down, he walked out, and then I'm mad. All right, so the next question is, so you've got your response. The next question, and I liked this, was how did it make you feel? And I know that can sound like a therapy word, and it's kind of, that can be kind of a joke, like, well, how did it make you feel? I don't know. How did it make me feel? But I think if we can stop for a moment and go, you know, I'm feeling defensive right now. I'm feeling angry right now. I'm feeling, you know, fill in the blank, and I'm reacting out of that. Let's get underneath that and just say, what's that all about? Um, are you feeling rejected? Are you feeling abandoned? Is it, are you feeling disconnected? Are you feeling helpless? Are you feeling powerless? Are you feeling unimportant, inadequate, like a failure, like you don't measure up, unloved, unaccepted, not appreciated? See those, those, those currents that are so deep? You're not fighting about how did Claire get out of the house anymore. You're fighting about, do you love me? 
Do you respect me? Is what's important to me important to you? So as Mark and I kind of, you know, circled around this, because he was so sweet, I said, can we talk, can we go through this exercise? And I said, Mark, what was it that was underneath it? Why did you react so strongly to me? And he said, Fran, he said, because what I felt like you were communicating to me was that I don't care about my granddaughter's safety just because I wasn't agreeable to do what you were asking me to do. And he said, you jumped to a place that was not accurate. He said, I love Claire. She's my granddaughter. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure she's safe. So, so I felt that's where all of that defensiveness that was coming from. And, and he said, what was underneath it for you? And I said, well, I felt, I felt powerless. I felt like I didn't have a voice. I said, when you basically said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go back out and wash the boat. I said, I just felt, I felt like, I, like I didn't have any control. I felt like you didn't, you didn't care about me because what was important to me, I didn't feel like you had heard it and you had valued it. And he's like, oh my gosh, friend, I love you. You're, you see what I'm saying? But it's like, as long as we were in the negative spiral, we couldn't, we couldn't break it. We couldn't, we couldn't get out of it. So I just, I, I give that to you because it was just so true for us. And now again, I mean, we had kind of brushed it aside and, you know, and in 20 minutes we were over it, but I thought, oh, you know, what if we had handled that so differently? There would have been a sense of connection rather than a sense of, ugh, that kind of just drives me crazy. My wife drives me crazy, you know, that kind of thing. So let's turn over to the next, to the next page. So on the back, the positive chase. One of the things that Ted Lowe and his wife just encourage people to do, and I love this, is to say, what is, what is the truth? And how can I react out of that truth in a way that brings connection instead of a way that tears us apart? So what if I had approached Mark instead of, and y'all not go kidding, my, my heart was racing. My adrenaline was going. I don't know if y'all have ever lost a kid in a store or seen, you know, kids almost about to run out in the, in the, in the, in the, um, in the road or something. I mean, it, something kicks in to mama gear. I'm just saying it does. But anyway, so, but what if I had said, gosh, Mark, you know, this happened really frightened me. I know you care about Claire's safety just as much as I care about Claire's safety. Could we talk about a way to make sure that we keep all the doors in the house locked when you're out in the yard so that, so that she doesn't slip out? And, and what he told me later was, he said, friend, you're going to have this long conversation with me. He said, but I really needed to get, you know, the, the boat done. And he had some, he had some tasks he needed to do before nightfall. And he said, I just almost didn't have time. And I said, well, gosh, wouldn't that have been great if you could have said back to me, hey, this isn't a good time to talk. I know you're concerned about Claire's safety. I'm concerned about Claire's safety. What if we come back together? So that would have alleviated my fears if he could have done that for me. If I could have done that for him, it would affirm, yes, I know you care about our child, you know, our granddaughter. Does that make sense? But because of our negative chase, it didn't go that way. So let me ask you this, thinking about your most important relationships and thinking about how in our relationships we have this opportunity to reflect to the world who God is. We have the opportunity to look at couples that are doing it well and saying, oh man, that's, that's how Christ loves me. Or that's how I'm to respect the Lord and give honor to him. So think about these relationships. Is there a place where you find yourself having the lie and then reacting out of that lie? 
Does that make sense? And how might those relationships be healthier and, and wiser and freer and, and that they're, we're building in a way that, that in, it, we can't ensure the health of any relationship because there's so many factors that we do not have control over. But I, but I love what the scriptures say. You know, as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on me, I, I want to be at peace with others. I can't control the other person's behavior, but I can always control my response. And so think about those important relationships. What from this passage in Ephesians could you take and apply and begin to live that out in these daily relationships? Think about the difference that's going to make for the people who look at your life, the people who are watching you, the people who are saying, what is God like? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? I mean, we are... Y'all, we're, we're broken, we're messy, uh, we don't get it right. But in some crazy way, and I, sometimes I question the Lord's judgment on this, which is probably a sign of disrespect, actually, which I probably shouldn't do that. But anyway, but I, sometimes I'll just ask the Lord. It's like, Lord, I know, I know my propensity to not walk in love. Why, why would you choose broken humanity to show the world what you're like? But somehow he's entrusted us with that job. And so I think if he's entrusted us with that job, he thinks we're up to the task. And he thinks that with his help and with his Holy Spirit as we yield to him, he, he thinks we can do it. And so I don't want to disappoint him. I want to just every day when I fall, every day when I fail, every day when I get in the negative cycle with Mark, just to say, honey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I, 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 I reacted to you in such a way that caused you to question whether I really respect you and think you're up to the task of being the dad and the husband and the grandfather for our family because that was wrong of me. I shouldn't have done that. And we humble ourselves and we walk in that love. What a difference it has the potential to make.